0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Bankers and Mash podcast. This is episode two. Sorry for taking so long to do this. There's honestly no excuse. I guess I've just been busy, but I'll try to be more consistent going forward. Before I start the second episode of the podcast, I'd like to tell the crazy story of how I lost and then found my laptop within two days. So a few Wednesdays ago, I was out with some of my friends. You guys know who you are and we were out pretty late drinking wine and then later when it got dark we were leaving and at some point i realized that the bag with my laptop that i had with me was gone needless to say i absolutely panicked and that was probably one of the most stressful nights of my life i ran around the area searching for any clue crying like a crazy person but i couldn't find anything i couldn't sleep at all that night Um, And the next morning and the whole next day after that, I was racking my brains, trying to find any clues as to what could have happened. And the only suspect I had in mind was this one guy that approached us a couple times during the evening. I assumed that he took the laptop since he was the only one around at the time, but obviously I couldn't be sure. Two days later, when I already began to accept that I would probably not find the laptop. I was on my way back from work, and as I was coming out of the metro... I uh, recognized the guy that was speaking to us that evening and I also realized that he had my tote bag that, uh, that my laptop was in. I immediately approached him and I started confronting him like, where is my laptop? Where did you put it? I know you had, it. you have it. And he, I think he got a bit scared and he pointed toward his friend who was also sitting there with him. And the second guy that he pointed out was like, I have it in a very smug tone. And at that moment, I became livid. I don't know what happened. I started yelling things that I didn't even recognize myself for. I was like, give me my laptop. I swear to God, I'm not kidding. I'm going to call the police. And this guy immediately stood up and he started taking me to his apartment where he said my laptop was. And honestly, guys, in retrospect, it probably wasn't the best idea to follow two strangers into a private apartment. But it ended up fine in the end. Because as soon as we got there, my laptop was there in the case still completely untouched in the middle of his desk. And when I got home, I opened it up and the same tabs that I had opened when I was using it were still open. So it means that he hadn't even opened the laptop. And that was probably one of the craziest, most miraculous out-of-pocket stories I've ever personally experienced. Honestly, big bless for real. Um, This is something that I never thought would happen, but, you know, miracles happen, and I hope you guys get the same luck I experienced that time a few few weeks ago. Okay, without further ado, let's actually get to the topic at hand, the long-awaited second episode of the Bangers and Mash podcast with your host, Bonia. Today we will be discussing a very extensive and interesting topic, sampling. Sampling has become such a prominent foundation of today's music that we don't even recognize it a lot of the time, and even if we do, it is never really treated as something out of the ordinary, but it wasn't always like this. In case you're not familiar, let's first define what sampling is. Sampling is the process of reusing a portion of a sound recording in another new recording. This can honestly really mean anything. Layering, speeding up and slowing down, repitching, looping, etc. Um, basically, it means taking and repurposing a sound bite or a previously recorded song into a new song. Since art has always been used as an inspiration in some way, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when sampling began. However, the beginnings of what we consider to be sampling can be traced back to the early 20th century in New Orleans during the advent of jazz. Musicians in the 1920s and 1930s often adapted hooks, licks, progressions, and other elements from their peers' pieces, mostly out of respect and admiration for their original composer, kind of like an homage. Since most of the crowd attending and playing in these shows was well-versed in the jazz trends of the time, These samplings were also viewed as inside jokes between musicians and would often be crowd-pleasers. What really began the modern concept of sampling was a movement that started in the 1940s in France called Musique Concrète, which literally translates to concrete music. The chief innovator of this sound was a sound engineer named Pierre Schaeffer, who in 1948 developed the idea of this highly experimental form of music by recording sounds on tape, splicing them, and manipulating them to create sound collages. He would literally use anything from the human body to locomotives to kitchen utensils uh, to anything he basically had on hand to create these musical works. Since these types of techniques had never really been used before, the sound was very avant-garde and mainly created for the purpose of exploring what could be achieved with tape recorders. It was not really considered very musical per se, and only perceived as a sort of sound collage to those who were interested in it. Machines that looped and sampled tape didn't become easily accessible or used in the mainstream sense until 1963, which is when the Mellotron was introduced. This was truly a big deal because it was far easier to use than the chamberlain and also was the first of its kind to be mass produced. This means that looping and sampling became much more accessible to the masses and the sound of an entire orchestra could now be produced by musicians and non-musicians alike with just two fingers. Enjoy the music for a minute before we let personality Eric Robinson explain. Well, explain how it works, for you? Well, actually, it's fairly straightforward. It's a musical computer, and as you know, Eric, the right hand is lead instruments with a choice of 18 different ones, and the left hand is rhythms in this half and backgrounds in this half, and it's all been fed onto hundreds of tape tracks. All right, well, I suggest that uh, you play a little simple piece. What about it? I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) My party piece. (laughs) Bye-bye blues with two fingers and nothing up my sleeve. This allowed for the most prominent artists of the time, including the Beatles, of course, to try to experiment with it. You might actually recognize one of the earliest and most famous uses of the Mellotron in the song Strawberry Fields Forever. The Mellotron was essentially responsible for the creation of progressive rock or prog rock used by groups such as King Crimson and Genesis. For example, in the song The Court of the Crimson King from perhaps the most notable 1969 prog rock album by King Crimson, in The Court of the Crimson King, you can prominently hear the Mellotron in use. to the new types of quote-unquote electronic music that were beginning to be born as a result of the Mellotron, other genres were also beginning to change in significant ways thanks to the advent of sampling. For example, Pioneers of Dub, a musical style that grew out of reggae in the late 1960s and early 1970s, created a new sound by borrowing and sampling elements from reggae and then emphasizing them. This could be anything from manipulation or removal of vocals the emphasis of the rhythm section, and also adding things like echo and reverb. Despite being already used extensively in the 1960s, sampling didn't really become super mainstream until the 1970s, This is in large part because of the fact that, up until this point, sampling was only done through tape loops. This all changed in the mid-70s when the first digital samplers were beginning to be introduced to the public, and this significantly simplified the sampling process, making it way more accessible. An interesting and unexpected consequence of the increased use of sampling by this time was the accidental creation of hip-hop. This happened because DJs and producers in the late 70s started to sample funk and soul records and rapped over them. At the time, since digital sampling was not as accessible or affordable, DJs would simply use turntables to loop breaks from records, which MCs would later rap over. The most prominent example of this is Sugar Hill Gang's 1979 record, Rapper's Delight, which makes a lot of use of the sample from the song Good Times by Chic. And now, here's Rapper's Delight for comparison. So the hip the you don't stop the rocker, do the bang, bang, say up, jump the boogie, the rhythm of the, boogie, the beat. Speaking of sampling's role in the beginnings of hip hop, one of the most prolific of these samples is actually a very early hip hop classic from 1985 called La Di Da Di by Slick Rick, which is a completely acapella track with a beatbox instrumental in the background. Considered one of the earliest hip-hop songs ever, it is also one of the most sampled songs in history, being in over a thousand songs. This song was actually an inspiration for a very well-known Notorious B.I.G. song. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways up. Uh, guess that's why they're broken, your so fair. Yes, this song is literally the basis behind the chorus of Biggie's Hypnotize. You can see it used toward the end of La Di Da Di. Ricky, 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 can't you see? Somehow your words just hypnotize me, and I just love your jazzy ways oh, MC Rick, my love is here to stay. And- other than just being in Hypnotize, certain elements of this track became the basis of countless of other hip-hop songs created over the last 30 years. One of the most commonly used sound effects found in these early samplers is what is called the orchestra hit. It is widely considered to be a hip-hop cliche because of how many times it has been used in songs starting from the 80s. I'll bet you you've definitely heard this sound countless times but never could actually identify it. I myself was shocked to learn that that sound I always identified as being so 90s actually has a name. And believe it or not, it actually comes from Stravinsky's Firebird Suite, which is an opera he wrote in 1919. Here is a sample of the orchestra hit, which I'm sure will be an aha moment for you as soon as you hear it. You might recognize it as being in classic 90s hits like NSYNC and Britney Spears. to more recent tunes like Finesse by Bruno Mars and Cardi B. MCs and DJs using samples in this way became so widespread by the mid-80s that there was even a series of compilation albums titled Ultimate Breaks and Beats, which were released from 1986 to 1991, and they were just collections of different beats, sounds, and straight-up samples of older songs. DJs and producers used this compilation a lot during the 80s and early 90s to sample their beats. The most notable of these samples on Volume 1 of Ultimate Breaks and Beats is the most sampled break of all time, the Amen Break. Having been used in more than 5,000 songs as of 2021, believe it or not, the Amen Break is a six second drum break in the Winston's 1969 song, Amen Brother. And this sample became the bedrock of hip hop and it's used literally everywhere even today. You'll definitely recognize what I mean. Sound familiar? Yup, this sample is also the whole reason why the genre of drum and bass exists. Drum and bass is the Amen break sped up by 1.25 times. Simple as that. Here is a jungle slash drum and bass song from 1994 called Maximum Style, with the Amen break being used in full swing. the sample has also been used in many other places anywhere from N.W.A.'s straight out of compton one of the first hip hop records from the 1980s to the future theme song Despite how illustrious the history of sampling is and how commonplace it is in a lot of popular music, it wasn't always easy. During the end of the 70s and 80s, when sampling really started to take place, many more quote unquote old school artists understandably interpreted it as stealing. They thought, how can simply taking someone else's idea for your own song be anything creative? Because of this, many of the artists who initially took the risk of sampling started to face a lot of legal issues. In the 80s, these DJs using samples were sued so often that many of them chose to stay anonymous and never received credit for the samples they used for their own work. One of the artists that faced a huge amount of legal issues for this were the Beastie Boys, who are actually iconic for introducing a new way of producing hip-hop. Namely with their 1986 album, Paul's Boutique, which uses about 200 samples from other songs. Fun fact, being huge fans of the Beatles, they sampled them a bunch of times on this album. Even though this album is regarded as the quote-unquote blueprint for sampling and revered for its creative rhythm structure, the Beastie Boys are still being sued for this for huge amounts of money, even to this day over 35 years later. By the late 80s and early 90s, sampling became so widespread and so many DJs had learned from artists like Beastie Boys to stay anonymous that it was nearly impossible to track the purported thieves of these songs and they became essentially untraceable. This actually introduced a philosophical shift. Musicians and listeners alike began to understand that sampling isn't actually stealing, but rather bringing new life to older music. Let's have a run through of some very well known songs that you might recognize as being sampled from other older precedents. Like Stevie Wonder's Pastime Paradise from 1976. And spending most of their lives living in pastime paradise. Been wasting most of their time glorified, days long gone behind. Been wasting most that their days in remembrance of ignorance, so disgrace. Tell me, which was then sampled in a very famous hip-hop song you might recognize. (laughs) There are countless more examples to show how sampling has been used time and time again in popular music, from Sir Mix-A-Lot's Baby Got Back being sampled in Nicki Minaj's 2014 Anaconda My anaconda don't, my anaconda don't, my anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun To Kanye using Ray Charles's I Got a Woman in the infamous Gold Digger She give me money when I'm in need I got a woman, way over town, that's good to me. Uh, me now nah, ain't saying she a gold digger, a but she ain't messing with no broke. Bro. Now nah, ain't saying she a gold digger, a but she ain't messing with no broke. Bro. Get down, girl, go hit, get down. And many other countless examples of this that exist. Speaking of Kanye... His song, Stronger, actually shows a whole sampling journey. First, it started with the song Cola Bottle Baby, which came out in 1979. (laughs) ¶¶ It was then heavily sampled in a Daft Punk classic, the 2001 Harder-Better-Faster-Stronger which was then used by Kanye in his song Stronger from 2007. (laughs) Work it, make it, it. makes us honor, better, faster, stronger, get <laughs> that, it, it. Can faster, only make stronger. us stronger. I need you to hurry up, man, power cause power I can't wait much longer. Actually, even though I would never want to inflate his already enormous ego, Kanye is kind of a major icon when it comes to sampling. I would even argue that while many notable artists did it before him, he kind of single-handedly brought sampling into the mainstream world, and it became such a prevailing element in his music that most people would immediately recognize right away. That's a Kanye song. The majority of sampling in popular music, especially hip-hop, was influenced by him, and all of his most notable songs use a lot of sampling. That's kind of what his thing is. But of course, beyond Kanye, I would say that the majority of mainstream music today, or even not necessarily mainstream, but um, popular music of today, uses sampling in some way, shape, or form. It might be some very explicit use of sampling, or might be something more discreet, but I would argue that the majority of music is somehow influenced and shaped by sampling and it happens so often that we take it for granted but it is sometimes really fun to be able to detect random samples that you hear in newer songs because it's kind of fun to recognize maybe some older more obscure songs that are being brought new life as a result of sampling. I'm actually very curious to see how sampling is going to change in the future because we've already been able to witness the journey that it took from around the late 70s and 80s when it really became mainstream to now. And that's already a 40 year period and it's already changed a whole lot. So I'm very excited to see what sampling will be like in 2062 But the main point being that pretty much ever since sampling was brought out into the mainstream, it has never really left music or mainstream music, and I don't expect that it ever will. And that's actually kind of something very exciting, because if you told someone 100 years ago about this, they probably wouldn't even be able to fathom what that could mean. And it's very cool that now we've created these inventive ways to do it. I'm excited for the future. Thank you guys once again for sticking around and listening to this second episode of the bangers and mash podcast. I already have a few more episodes cooking up for you. So hopefully you guys won't be starved for content. I'm joking, but you know what I mean? Anyways, see you soon. My dudes and dudettes. Ew, that's such a 2001 term, but anyways, see you guys soon and, uh, peace and love.